comics, movies, music, video games, technology, Blu-ray, television. This is the HHW LOD Podcast Network. The world we know is gone. No internet, no GPS, no text messages, no podcasts. In a world ruled by the dead, we are finally forced to start living. Halloween and welcome to episode 100 of the Walking Dead TV podcast. I'm Jordan from Jersey, joined tonight by Mr. Russell Latham, Mr. Jim Dietz, and Mr. Aaron Newirth. How y'all doing, gentlemen? Good. Hello. You kids, put down that toilet paper and get off my lawn. <laughs> yeah, we have made it a hundred episodes now, gentlemen. It's it's hard to believe four seasons, hundred episodes. You know, we we could have gotten through it faster, I guess, if we put out an episode every single week. But we run out of things to talk about pretty quickly during the off season, so I'm pretty happy with 100 episodes in under four years. Does that mean we get a syndication deal? Yes, we do. Yeah. <laughs> Syndicated podcast. It's going to air in between Family Ties and The Brady Bunch. I'm sure that would go over extremely well. So tonight we're going to be talking about The Walking Dead Season 4, Episode 3, Isolation. Uh, but before we get into that, Russell, who is our sponsor for this week's episode? Our sponsor, as always, for the Walking Dead TV podcast is Discount Comic Book Service. That's DCBService.com. You can still get in your October orders. It's not too late. Um, even if it's the beginning of November when you hear this, uh, you still have plenty of time. They are fine with late orders. Uh, this month, Walking Dead number 118 is being solicited, and you can get it for 40% off of the $2.99 cover price, which will end up costing you $1.79. A great, great deal. There's also tons of Walking Dead merchandise. I mean, if you're looking for T-shirts, hoodies, wallets, all kinds of, of stuff, they have it on the site there. All Most of it all 40% off, so a great deal if you pre-order that uh, for the October orders at DCB Service. Uh, they also want to let everybody know that Rick Remender, uh, comic book extraordinaire, you may know him from, um, from Fear Agent, from Uncanny X-Force, and some of his Marvel work that he's been doing lately, uh, but he all, they also have a uh, DCB service uh, special variant cover to Black Science Number 1, which is going to be coming out very shortly by Rick Remender and art by Matteo Scalera and Dean White. And it looks really freaky. I mean, if you're familiar with his Fear Agent stuff and End League and some of that other, other stuff that, uh, that Remender has done, this definitely feels like it fits right at home in that uh, from Image Comics. So they're really... Uh, happy that they're finally getting uh, their own variant cover from from an image book at DCB Service, so definitely check that out. Uh, if you're into the digital side of things, you can hit DCB Service's digital storefront and earn five percent off your purchase towards uh, off your digital purchase fo- off uh, towards your physical purchase. So if you're there's a special hardcover or 
you know, book that you're wanting to save up for, maybe those Walking Dead trades, uh, but you do like the digital stuff, you could you could check that out and uh, hook up your Comixology account and be able to, to save an extra 5%. And if you haven't ordered uh, in one year or been or ever been a customer at Discount Comic Book Service, you can use the code WD8 and get an extra 8% off your total order. So definitely check that out. Uh, Discount Comic Book Service, dcbservice.com. We appreciate their support of the Walking Dead TV podcast. Absolutely. Now, gentlemen, let me ask you a question. What do we want to talk about first here? Some news, some Walking Dead, or some Talking Dead? Because we've got a bunch of stuff on all three fronts. Should we spin the wheel? Oh, wait, wrong show. Why don't you go ahead and spin the wheel? Wrong, no. wrong show. Should we get the news out of the way first? Yeah, why not? So we've got two bits of really good news, everybody. The first is, if you played the Telltale Games Walking Dead video game, not the first-person shooter one, but the one with the actual story and and the one that people liked... Uh, yeah, so the good one? Just announced, yes, exactly. They've just announced that Season 2 will be coming very soon. Uh, we don't have an exact date yet, but it will be before the end of the year, and in a very cool and exciting move, although not really unexpected, you will be playing as Clementine this time around, and if you played the first season of the game, which I highly recommend you do, you know very well who the character of Clementine is, and why that is awesome. I love the, uh, the Telltale version of that game, and one game of the year, too, in quite a few places, including uh, the, the VGAs, uh, so, I mean, it was really well regarded. I know their Fables game just came out. Um, the, based on Bigby Wolf from the Fables comic, and uh, I just really—it's great to see this style of game, this adventure game, really come into its own and really, you know, show off what what's really great about this style of game is the storytelling and and how close you get to the characters and the choices that you have to make. I mean, there are a lot of hard choices in that Walking Dead game, you know. Um, not every not everything is you know, black and white as they are, or binary as they are in a lot of other games. So I'm excited to see more of that gameplay and, and more from that team. So that is great news. Definitely. And our second bit of big news is that The Walking Dead has been renewed for Season 5, which is not a surprise at all. And in a, in a note that I'm very happy about, and I think most of us are very happy about at least so far, uh, Scott Gimple will be returning as the showrunner. This is, of course, the first season that he's running the show on, uh, on AMC, Season 4. Season 5, he will be continuing. If you remember, last year around this time when we got the note that they'd be renewing for Season 4, that's when we also got the note that uh, Glenn Mazzara would be leaving and Scott Gimple would be taking over, or at least it's got, uh, that uh, Glenn Mazzara would be leaving. I, I don't remember if we got the Scott Gimple note then. But uh, so this time we will get the same showrunner back, and so far I've been very happy with Scott Gimple's work. Yeah, so this will be the first time that somebody has stayed a showrunner for two solid seasons, provided he makes it through all of season five, I assume. Right, right, exactly. Don't, don't and he's been it. with the show longer. He, this will just be him as a showrunner two full seasons. So, best of luck to him, and I can't wait to see what he's got uh, left for the rest of this season and for next season. Alrighty, so let's get into the episode recap, gentlemen. Season 4, episode 3 is entitled Isolation. It was written by Robert Kirkman himself, and it was directed by Dan Sackheim. I hope I'm pronouncing that correctly. And I also noticed in the credits that this episode was edited by Kelly Dixon, who anyone who's a Breaking Bad fan or who listened to the Breaking Bad Insider podcast will probably recognize that name. So it was very cool to see it in the credits. Those are nice fun facts about this episode. Yeah, all right. <laughs> she is a quality editor. And for people who who don't really pay attention to these type of things, editors make a really big difference in, in movies and television shows. You'd be amazed what they can 
the, the turds they can turn into gold and vice versa are pretty amazing. That said, I wouldn't say this episode was a turd. Whether that was Kelly or not, who knows. Uh, isolation starts off in the inner courtyard, and we have Tyrese, who's explaining to Rick, Carol, and Daryl that he found Karen and David's burnt bodies. And Tyrese demands that Rick tries to find the killer, and Rick tries to calm Tyrese down. It turns violent pretty quickly. Uh, Tyrese attacks Rick and Daryl. They fight back. Tyrese gets a bloody face. Uh, Daryl eventually pulls Rick off Tyrese before it goes any further. And uh, Rick pretty severely injures his hands, and he's horrified with what he just did. I didn't buy the scene at all. I agree with you. And what was it about the scene that you guys didn't buy? I, I just didn't buy Tyrese having that type of reaction and things getting out of control and everybody acting that way. Like, it just, it, it didn't ring true. I mean, we've seen Tyrese be around other people that have died that he's been close to and traveled with. Now, granted, maybe not this close, but it just, I, I don't know. It just seemed like it exploded out of nowhere. And the dialogue, and it, it just, I don't know. I can't, I can't really, it, it just flat out did not work for me. I felt like, when I first started watching this episode, I feel like as much as episode two was like this tour de force, in my opinion, and, and episode one was really solid, I was just like, uh, I'm not, uh, yeah, I had a really bad feeling about uh, where this episode was going from, from the start. I basically agree with what Russ has to say here. I mean, and overall, I mean, I think that we'll, we'll get to it real. For this opening scene, I... I agree with what Russ had to say. It feels like this was something that occurred because the plot needed it to, as opposed to something that I would think makes sense for what's going on with these characters. I understand the logic and the anger and the frustration going on in a scene like this with Tyrese and with the others involved, but it didn't feel like this came in an organic way as opposed to one that needed to happen because that's what the script said to happen. Fair enough. And I would have been fine with him having like an explosive reaction that didn't involve him kicking the crap out of Rick and vice versa. You know, if he just if he just started, you know, I, I don't know, railing or, you know, just just yelling or or bolted off and and or like Carol did later in the episode with the water tower thing. Yeah, exactly. Or just decided he was going to pick up his hammer and go outside and and go, you know, bonkers like as we'll get to what he did later. But uh, yeah, it's just the fighting part of it. The the physic the, the physical confrontation he had with Rick and with Daryl, I just I just didn't buy. Or just the one punch. I mean, I could have bought that. Yeah, but, like it just yeah. kept going, and that's where it kind of lost me in being too over the top. Like the bit with him and Daryl. Like Daryl kind of waved Rick off, right? I mean, you know, he was like, "Yeah, it's okay." You know, I get. You know, he's just he's he's not thinking right. I I got it handled. It's it's fine. If they would have. If they would have taken it to that step and then stopped it and then just had him be distraught, I would have totally bought that. I completely agree, and I actually thought Norman Reedus was kind of the quiet hero of this episode. He did a lot of nice little background yes. character work that yes, worked yes. quite well for him and the fans of Daryl. Also, earlier in the episode, Dr. S. and Herschel are dealing with some patients, and they lose one right in front of them. And Dr. S. has to prepare to put him down, which I thought was actually another nice, quiet moment with him just... Uh, opening up the pocket knife and, and the scene cutting away to something else. It worked, because I, 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 the first two scenes of this episode, one's uh, Glenn and Maggie and the other's digging graves, and the second one is the Dr. S sequence, then we get to the Tyrese stuff. But the early sequences, it, it, for, you know, less, less than a minute into the cold open, you get a feel for what's going on in this episode, and it happens to be the flu has taken hold and more people were dying and whatnot. And it was, you know, it set, a, it set an atmosphere for 
what's going on in the prison right now. It's kind of a, just a creeping death feel for the whole episode, or at least most of it. It has a yeah. sense of urgency, too. I mean, there's a timeline now. They have, they're running out of time. They don't have the luxury that they thought they had, you know, of now they're in a safer place, you know, being able to keep out the the walkers or whatnot. It's put everything on a, on a timetable. I mean, they only have a few days to, to save everyone if they can find the antibiotics. Later, we have Herschel bandaging up Rick's hand, which he injured in the fight with Tyrese. And he comments on the group situation and that everything they worked so hard to keep out just found its way in. And he tells Rick the details of the flu situation. It's spreading. And uh, another council meeting is going to be scheduled the next day to decide what they should do. And uh, at that point, we also have Tyrese and Bob Stuckey working on burying Karen and David. Is it just me or did that grave site that they have, their, their little cemetery, seem a little small? Like, they haven't lost anybody in the interim between Woodbury and the beginning of the season. Um, but uh, but now they're, now they're having to bury everybody. It feels more like I just don't have a great uh, geographic reference for how these gravesite works. Like, I'm not quite sure where it is in relation to certain things or how big it is or whatnot. I just don't, yeah, it's more, That's fair enough, I guess. I, 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 it's not something I'm holding against the show. It's just more of, it's not something I, like, think I know exactly how it works, given where some of these graves are, where they're digging and stuff. I, I don't know. So Glenn's talking to Herschel, and he suggests that maybe with Karen and David dead, they might have stopped the infection. But very quickly, we see that's not the case. Uh, Sasha comes out of C-Block, and she's coughing violently. And uh, she tells Herschel she's going to go join all the sick people in A-Block, uh, where Dr. S is. Uh, we also see that Dr. S is sick. And at the meeting of the council the following morning, uh, they they agree that they need to get medical supplies for, for treatment. They think they can go to an animal hospital that's somewhat nearby, and we start to see that Glenn is coming down with the zombie flu as well. So everybody very quickly is is getting uh, brought under the weather. Uh, so about well, I don't think we need to continue harping about how the council doesn't have robes and gabbles and songs and chants <laughs> and things. But yeah. um, I I will I, I will say that I get what kind of irked me about. This episode is that Daryl established that he's going to get a team together and they're going to go somewhere. And I really felt that the episode was going to focus on Daryl's dream team. And it wasn't that. And I can't hold that against the episode for not being what I wanted it to be because it looks like next episode is probably going to be what I wanted it to be. But I kept kind of the things happening in this episode felt kind of like, all right, this is kind of boring, for lack of a better term. I'd rather see them drive to the thing and like it just took forever for them to finally leave the the, um, the prison and go that way so there was a weird sense of timing with okay we're gonna do this yeah tomorrow i was like wait what what tomorrow why tomorrow it seems like you need to do this like right now but no no we're gonna do it tomorrow and it was kind of i mean i get like i said earlier the whole creeping death thing i thought was effective um, you know, the, the creeping death, the claustrophobia, the, the kind of feeling of being trapped and there being no escape. But at the same time, maybe they shouldn't have come to the decision that we're going to go on this uh, this uh, mission until later on in the episode, because it did make it seem very weird, like you were saying. It kind of, yeah, kind of, the the timeline felt kind of weird in the episode. I mean, and it, I mean, this episode, we'll get to other things, but there are kind of three main characters in this episode and the Daryl's Dream Team stuff. I'm going to keep calling it that. Um, and... The fact that I had problems with two of them out of the three, that's kind of what kept rubbing me the wrong way since I wasn't already getting what I wanted, which I'm trying not to make sound selfish. But, I mean, that's kind of where I was at with the episode. So we then cut to a scene where Carol helps a bunch of the sick people in the group into cell block A. 
Uh, she's wearing a mask for protection, and eventually she also even has to put young Lizzie in with the sick folks, because Lizzie may be coming down with sickness as well. And uh, Carol does not react very well to that. We later on see her outside pumping water, and, and she's talking to Rick, and she says they're running low, they need to go out to the cistern, and from what I can tell, there's a hose that goes from the cistern into the inside of the fence where they can pump, but there's mud that gets in the nozzle on the other side of the fence in the cistern, and that's what they have to clean out. Am, am I Was I following that correctly? That seemed, yeah. that seemed about right. I wanted yeah. to ask really quick a, a, a scene I think we've, we've kind of passed by here real quick. Um, after the fight at the very end, in the opening, when Rick and Tyrese meet again, you know, Tyrese is out digging graves and Rick comes out to, you know, kind of apologize or whatever. Didn't you think Tyrese was like, I mean, Rick has been doing this whole thing where he's not in charge and he's not, you know, the authority figure. He's not in the council. He's trying to farm and everything. And then Tyrese said the whole thing last episode of not wanting to kill anymore. He didn't want to be on the, the front lines. He didn't want to be on the, the fence. I mean, it just seemed like Tyrese was act, asking a lot from Rick to, to have him, you know, you know, he's like, you're the cop. You should figure it out. You know, is murder okay here now? You know, and I'm just, you know, was thinking if Rick has like, kind of stepped down from that leadership role, isn't he kind of barking up the wrong tree? Well, I mean, there's a difference between a leadership role and a detective. I mean, they can be the same thing, and oftentimes Rick used them um, at the same time, but performing an investigation and leading a group are two, in my opinion, at least two very different things. It just seemed like he was trying to abdicate responsibility, and then Tyrese was thrusting that responsibility back at him. I see what Jim's saying, and it just... it I, I agree that I feel like the, um, the depiction of Tyrese in this episode doesn't feel like it's coming organically. That's what I can keep saying about this. I mean, I, I think there's, for a character that we, we have kind of a, a general idea of based on the show, just separating it from the comic and what we know of Tyrese, and f from up till now, we get that he's, you know, essentially a good guy. He's he's capable. He's he, what I think, I believe, a reasonably smart person. And he's a gentle giant. He is. There you go. He's a gentle giant. And the show's kind of, it's, it's pushing him in a very specific direction so it can get him to basically the last scene in this or the second to last scene of him in this episode as opposed to doing something that feels like it's come it's not it's coming like from who we know this character to be i feel like it's it's doing a lot to expand on this character in a short amount of time as opposed to having set up things about him in advance that get us to understand why certain things are being said why his fresh, why his rage is coming out a certain way why the his actions are happening in a certain way. It's just, it's not completely unbelievable. It just didn't quite click with me, and I take it Jim as well, and Russell for that matter, based on kind of the opening scene and just even the con like the conversation he had with Rick. Yeah, I, d I didn't really take so much issue with him kind of pushing Rick on the detective angle, although he's just a sheriff, and knowing what I know about small-town law enforcement, and this is not a dig against small-town law enforcement, they're typically not equipped to handle large investigations or forensic type investigations. Usually it's, it's a larger entity that comes in and, and deals with that. So I, I guess I was looking at it from that angle. Like I did, I don't see Rick as this forensic detective guy. I see him as a, uh, as a sheriff's deputy that works a beat. Um, to Rick, to Rick's credit, he does solve the crime, but I mean, he, right. Uh... Right, but but I mean, I, if that's I mean that's what is more like that's more minutia. I mean, it's really right, right, right. Yeah, I did, totally. the conversation they the conversation they had was just people being stubborn, and that's kind of, that kind of annoyed. Right, me. yeah, 
Rick tries to apologize, and Tyrese is like, no, you better follow this crime. And it's just like, yeah, it, it doesn't, <laughs> it, I get where it's coming from, but for some reason it just felt off. Yeah, yeah I, 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 I totally agree with that. Yeah, I just didn't buy it. So after Rick talks to Carol and they they, ha- they have a disagreement over when they're going to go clean out the cistern, she wants to do it today, he wants to do it tomorrow, and like you guys say, then he talks to uh, Tyrese at Carol's urging, and they have their little argument. Rick then goes and talks to Carl, and uh, he asks Carl to go to the office block where all of the people who have thus far not been exposed, as far as I can tell, to the flu, he wants them to go over there and act kind of as a guard, kind of just as a authority figure in training, if you will, with his gun, keeping everybody safe, making sure everybody stays in the building. And uh, I actually thought the the use of that new location was actually very effective. It was very, it was new, had different lighting to it, a very different feel, and helped uh, branch out the geography of the prison a little bit more. I agree with that. Yeah, I agree. I, I mean, things that didn't involve Carol and Tyrese kind of made me happy this episode, actually. Like, kind of <laughs> some of the, we, we, like there's a lot, basically Herschel is my hero this episode, along with Daryl, uh, but I mean, yeah. there's there's a lot of uh, a lot of good stuff going on, just kind of in setting up the world of the prison and you know the world around it and whatnot, which is something that I did kind of have a problem with last season, and so I'm you know I'm happy that the show is delivering on developing more of this prison. We understand there's other cell blocks where people are, what the kind of what the living situation is in the prison with the pumps and the kind of the various jobs now that there are more people involved and stuff. Like I, I like all these details. So over at Daryl's dream team, because I'm going to adopt uh, Aaron's phraseology there. We can call uh, it DD, Darryl, DDT. The, the <laughs> DDT. Uh, the DEET, if you will. The DEET is uh, Daryl, Michonne, Bob Stuckey, and then Daryl is trying to recruit Tyrese as well. Interestingly enough, over half of the African-American cast in that vehicle by the end of the episode. <laughs> yeah. It was nice to see, but it was also, str- like, the odds of that happening are so astronomically small, it-, it just made me laugh a little bit. Thankfully, I don't think any of them are going to die in the next couple episodes. Yeah, I hope not. My favorite scene of the whole episode was when he asked, when Daryl asked Bob if he wants to come along, and Bob was shocked that they would actually want him along, and Daryl goes... Can you read this word? And I forget, it was some compound or medication or something like that. Clonazepam, let's just say, something like that. Yeah, and, and Bob reads it, reads it off. He goes, yep, we definitely need you yeah, to that, come that along. Yeah, that was a funny <laughs> That was a good one. And I just laughed. I thought that was awesome. Again, another highlight for uh, Daryl Dixon slash Norman Reedus in this season. I think he's, uh, I talked about it a little bit last week, but I really think that character is coming into his own, and I think it's showing off another dimension of Norman Reedus's acting ability. And uh, I think he's gotten a lot of praise so far in the, in the, in the series. And, and he has a big uh, female following. And for a long time, I was like, yeah, I just don't, I just don't get it. But so far seeing what they've done with him this season, I'm like, he is, he is a shining star of this show finally. And uh, you know, just not that he was, a complete slouch and, and a waste of space in seasons one through three, but they are using him to great effect in season four. And I, I really, really like every scene so far that he's been in. It's, it's, it's been uh, noteworthy. Russ and I are on the same page this week. I agree. I even, I noted this in my, uh, my write up of it. I mean, Norman Reedus is, he, he's doing what's needed of him and it doesn't feel like there's any wishy washiness going on with his character. He just feels like he's an effective presence. He's well, he's, Norman Reedus is acting the part well. His role is written in a way that doesn't feel frustrating or 
misused or anyway. It just it feels right for what is required of this person in this show. And on top of all that, he really sells the action scene later with him and Michonne and Bob and Tyrese. Oh yeah, uh, he, sure. he really has like the the crossbow foo down, you know. Yeah. So, like I said, Daryl tries to convince Tyrese to join the group, and at first Tyrese refuses. But then, eventually, after talking to Sasha some and another conversation with uh, with Daryl, I believe he eventually, by the by about three quarters of the way through the episode, decides to join the Deet and go with them on their mission. And that badass Dodge Charger <laughs> that was apparently Zach's, which I can buy. That seems like the type of car that guy would that that kid would buy. It's the fastest car they had. The only car that wasn't a Hyundai. so over in the office block which remember is where Carl is keeping watch Herschel is deciding he's going to go out into the woods gather herbs to try and stabilize the sick and Carl immediately notices uh, you're going outside you're not supposed to go outside and despite the fact that Herschel tries to assert some dominance in the fact that I'm on the council and I'm older than you and bigger than you Carl has a gun and Carl is ostensibly right um, in the fact that Herschel is breaking the rules. So uh, eventually they come to a compromise. Herschel will go out into the woods to gather the herbs, but Carl's going to come with him. And they never bring it up, but that means leaving that section of the prison unguarded, which seemed to be, to me, to be very counterproductive, but it was not a problem as the episode went along, so it's not a big deal. So they go out into the woods. They have a nice little conversation, Carl almost shoots some zombies, but Herschel talks him out of it because there's really no point. They're faster than the zombies. There's only a couple of them, and they don't need to do it. And uh, Herschel gets his elder bear. Now, when you guys saw that tent, did you think maybe that was going to be the head in the bag that Rick Rick encountered? Was that a couple episodes ago now? No. Uh, I know. I figured that was way farther away, and that was yeah. like a clearing. Okay. It was like a clear area. This one was in the. I, re- I really like the uh, that forest setting up there, and it was a nice kind of atmospheric location. Mm hmm. And was that the first time we've ever seen a zombie in a bear trap? Because that feels like it's a long time coming. Yeah, yeah. Or, or some kind of animal trap. I don't know if it was a bear trap technically, but it seems smaller. Jim, I think I cut you up. What were you saying about the tent? No, I just, when I first saw the tent, that's what I thought. I thought they were going to pan over and show that, that bag with the head in it. But yeah. That would have that been a fun callback, I guess. But I mean, I didn't really think that was the case. And I was also more taken by um, the tree walker, which I have many names for. Stump Walker, Petrified Walker, Moss Mossy. Walker, yeah. Jolly Green Walker. Rip Van Walker. Yeah. I, I think this was... Walker, Texas Ranger. Sorry. <laughs> no, that's right. I think this reiterated the turn that Carl has taken. If this was season three, Carl, he'd have shot those walkers regardless of what Herschel said. The fact that Herschel was able to talk him out of it without him, you know, throwing a fit or getting pissed off or having an attitude that he just kind of saw Herschel's point of view and realized that was the right thing to do and walked off with him, again, I think shows how that character has grown from season three to season four. What helps is that um, Scott Wilson really delivers in this episode a couple times. Oh, yeah. The first ones. I mean, it could have come off as like something akin to one of the like kind of the Dale speeches from season two where it just seems kind of naggy as opposed to advice and, you know, like driven in a way that makes you actually want to follow through on said request. And it's got, I mean, the, certainly no offense to, to, to Dale, but I, if I, um, or at least the actor, but, um, poor I, Jeffrey really DeMunn, like Jeffrey DeMunn. Yes. I, I, I really like how Hersh, how Herschel's been handled as a character to address Carl in this episode. And I, I do like the scene quite a bit. I, I liked how it, 
how it played out and what the kind of implication was and where we've gone, where we have gone from season three to season four. And of course, we must mention in this scene and the one before, Carl is wearing Rick Sheriff's hat yep. again. Yep. And has the sil- the the aluminum baseball bat uh, do-it-yourself silencer. Yes. <laughs> so we then check back in with Rick, uh, who goes out into the tombs to investigate the courtyard where uh, Karen and David's bodies were found. He looks at the blood trail. He walks around a little bit. He follows the blood trail, and he finds a blood pattern on the door. It looked to me like a handprint. Um, and he sighs and he glances away, and then we come back to him later on in the episode. Um, this seems to be all of the investigation he does, and this seems to be enough to give him what he needs. And I have uh, guesses or assumptions, I guess, as to how he figured out who did it from that. But was I missing something? Was it just the fact that the ha- it was a handprint that was a certain size, and that narrowed down the list of possible people it could have been, and then he just put two and two together? Or was there some other major clue that I just missed? Well, I think that helps along with things that Carol does in this episode in, in an effort to show Rick who he believe show Rick kind of the light in which he, who he thinks is responsible. That said, I would not be surprised if there was like some eventual deleted scenes or something on the Walking Dead Blu-ray that maybe strengthen his... Uh, he finds her headscarf from last season. It's yeah. just exactly that. A little a little post-it note that says Carol was here. No, wasn't there that part where he looked at the bloody handprint that was on the rail or whatever, and it looked like a smaller handprint, like a, uh, you know, like a, not a man-sized hand, but a woman-sized hand? Well, yeah, that's what I was referring to, but I thought, I was just wondering if there was anything else that I'd missed. Like, was there a ring indentation on that that he recognized from her or... I don't know, is she missing a finger or something, James Doohan style, and so he no, recognized I, it? Or I, No, I think it's it comes down to the extent of it was a handprint. It was smaller than his handprint, so we can deduce that it was a smaller person, most likely a female, from, I mean, from that kind of logic. And, yeah, I mean, you go with who else is in this prison, who else would know where to look for certain things at this early stage of quarantine, so on and so forth. I, I mean, there's a lot of ways he was able to rule out people, for sure, and I think he combined that with things that also happened in this episode with Carol that lead him to the eventual, did you do this question. Right. I, w- I agree, though. I do feel the detec- detective, the deducing was a little, like, Hey, did you do this? <laughs> like a, a little, little jump, little jumpy, little jump, jumped up. And, and the product placement of him then looking down at his hand and him holding the staples button was, I thought, a bit heavy. <laughs> yeah, that was easy. <laughs> uh, anyway, uh, before any of that happens, uh, we have Maggie over by the uh, by the cell block A where they have all the sick people, and she sees Herschel's going inside. And she runs over, she begs him not to go in, because he's going to get sick, he's going to die. Rick overhears them arguing, and he comes in, and he sides with Maggie. And then, in a scene that had me pumping my fist in the air and going, yeah, Herschel, um, even though I kind of, in the beginning, disagreed with him, he brought me over to his side, which is always a nice thing. It's it's rare for it to happen on a TV show like this, uh, particularly like what you guys kept saying with Dale in, like, season two, where he'd make some impassioned argument, and I'd go, that's dumb. (laughs) Here, Herschel had me coming over to his side, and he he gives this little, I wouldn't say speech, but we heard some of it in the trailer for this season, where he says, you know, everything we do, every day, every hour, basically— in this world, we're risking our lives. You go in the cell block, you're risking your life. You go outside, you're risking your life. You drink water, you breathe, you're risking your life. He says, you know, we can't choose whether or not we risk our lives because we always are. All we can choose is what we're going to risk it for. And he says, I can help these people 
and therefore I am going to help them. And it's it's not it's not a discussion, it's not for debate. I can help make these people better, I hope, and so I'm going to try. Because if I go in there, maybe I die. If I don't go in there, maybe I die. And it's not for you to tell me not. And eventually, Maggie and uh, and Rick decide to let him walk through. And and he does just what he said. He goes in. He starts giving people elderberry tea, which apparently really does help against the flu. We kind of get a few little montages of him going around talking to different people, including Glenn, who seems very sick. Yeah, yeah I'm right there with you, Jordan. I uh, was completely on. Uh, I was on board with Herschel, and I would say that I had a little kind of teetering as to which way I should lean on this one. But after Herschel said the words that he did, I was just yes, like do that now. Like <laughs> you've convinced me, sir. And beyond just being, you know. The, the the states the elderly statesman of the group and having being an actual doctor and having secret tea recipe elderly tea recipes like it <laughs> it um it it helped that he just had choice dialogue that really worked for me and I think it does show kind of a in one of the rare cases it shows a strength in the writing of this show where I I can acknowledge how it's how it's progressed from previous seasons to here where I actually believe what this character has to say and it feels like it's in character for this person to say it. Plus, you got to love the line when I forget who he tells it to, but basically, when they question him, he goes, Veterinarian's orders, which I thought was pretty that funny. That was pretty, yeah. yeah. There's some good, there's a little bit of savior. There's like a fleas joke that Michonne told. There was, there was some good stuff here. I agree with what Aaron was saying before about Scott Wilson being really strong this episode. He had a lot of really good moments that kind of stuck out like that to me, anyway. Yeah, I think it's a case of the speech itself was written well, but the delivery, I think, exceeded the speech. The way that that Scott Wilson gave that speech and the way he put inflection on certain sentences, the way he kind of has that southerny drawl, you know, to to the way he acts in the role, um, it it just really, I just really bought it. I, I just, it was just very, very well done. I mean, I just, I wanted to stand up and clap, you know, for him, um, you know, and just, it just kind of shake his hand because it was. Uh, it was it was a it was a a great argument a great speech and it and it made total sense i mean like like you said you know we can take a drink of water and die tomorrow you know right i think the other thing i had going on its side in terms of walking dead speeches is and i think this is particularly relevant because this was a kirkman written episode kirkman particularly in the comics likes to have his characters uh, speechify, if you will. Yes. He likes yeah. to have them go on very long monologues yes. where they explain their position, reiterate their position, and, you know, just elocute very proficiently on their positions. And sometimes it works, sometimes it doesn't, but it's usually very long. And the really good things about this speech, not just the delivery and the writing, but it was also, it was pretty short and concise. It was, what, maybe a minute, 30 seconds to a minute? And in the comic, that might have been four pages. Who knows? And it might have been just fine, just because it's four pages. I'm not saying it's bad. But here, it was good, and it was to the point, and it was delivered really well. Agreed. I mean, I feel like, I, I feel like, I mean, there were some speechifying moments that happened in season two involving Dale. And again, I'm not trying to pick on Dale necessarily. It's just more of kind of where the show was at that point. Where it, and it's a good counterexample yeah, for Herschel. Sure. Yes. They fill a similar role. And where it feels like, Maybe the audience was supposed to be on the on the side of like I, I feel like I had trouble following which character I was supposed to be supporting in certain certain Dale like speeches since it, yeah as using that as the counterpoint to Herschel and I don't feel like I'm confused as to where I'm supposed to be putting my my sights on and in this in things that have involved Herschel thus far and lately. it kind of broke the mold right because we've seen so far in this uh, series if some character especially seems like an older character 
has some great impassioned, uh, thought-provoking, uh, you know, decision-changing speech that they're not very long for this world. And uh, mm-hmm. now we don't know what Herschel's, you know, ultimate fate is going to be. Um, but at least through this episode, he made it through. Yeah, I definitely. Hear. I think that was that was brought up on the Facebook page as well. Kind of a, the cliche of the show is the second someone starts showing a little character development, they get offed. And so far, we we haven't seen too much of that. We lost Beth's boyfriend. <laughs> Besides that, I think we're good. And really, he said what? Maybe two sentences before and that. And he left yeah. behind that sweet car. Yeah. So yeah. He's, exactly. He's serving a purpose. Yeah, man. And we lost. Was it Finney? It was Phineas, right? Not not Ferb. We lost Phineas. Uh, Phineas. Yeah. Yes. yeah that, that that thirty year old pretending to be Carl's friend. I got it. Yeah. Yes. No, he's he's really like twenty one or something. I know. Like he, that. Look, I he, remember he, looking he, it up. He looks thirty. I, I guess. <laughs> it's that voice work, man. It it ages you. So we then catch back up with Daryl's dream team, the DDT, the DEET, as they drive towards the animal hospital. And we get another scene that we had in the trailer, and that's them hearing over the radio, sanctuary, sanctuary, and then the word survive. Now, as was pointed out on our Facebook group page, I believe it was Terry Bernard who said it. I could be wrong. But it was much less clear than it was on the trailer. Robert Nigro. And that could be just because it was – oh, it was Robert. Thank you, Robert. It, it was could be that it was mixed differently, that they just decided on a different edit. I thought it was just as effective here as it was in the trailer, though, and maybe a little bit more realistic, because it seemed like it went from, in the trailer, it went from some static to very clear English very quickly. They did a reverse Bane. <laughs> very, very nice. So, and of course, like you might have seen if you watched last week's episode of The Talking Dead, uh, we get them listening to the radio, and as they are listening, they're not paying attention to the road, because Daryl is not very good at multitasking, apparently. <laughs> and uh, he starts slamming into walkers, and they, they go into a little bit of a, of a swerve. Uh, they throw on the brakes, they go over a hill, and as they crest this small hill, you go from 5 walkers, 10 walkers, 20 walkers, 50 walkers, to what is, according to... Greg Nicotero, about 7,500 walkers on the other side of this hill. We got a full-fledged herd of zombies, and it was pretty awesome looking. Yeah, it was enough to fill up a We Are the World zombie-themed music video. Um, <laughs> I'd like to buy the world a Bloody Coke. Yeah. Uh, I, I did like that a, a scene involving a character not looking at the road and then swerving around didn't lead to like the car being flipped over completely all out glory. Um, <laughs> For once. It, it was nice that it was just, nope, there's just, we're just over on old walkers now. That's why we have to leave the car, not because we've crippled our only means of transportation. So that that was a nice touch. But yeah, that was an impressive uh, herd that we <laughs> that we had to look at there. It, and it negates the argument of, well, if he, he should have just floored it. You know, just from right because he from, floors it, he goes in reverse, and he gets trapped on a bunch of dead. No, was, no, no, no. But was, I mean, that was my zombie kill of the week, by the way. Is uh, the <laughs> spinning tires over the big pile of zombies? Yeah. Did oh, I, and the one zombie's did, uh, arm that gets just obliterated yeah. by the tire was yeah, awesome. That's looking. my zombie kill of the week. I was going to say that later. Did, uh, but sorry, we cut you off. No, 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 no. It's fine. But I meant initially, like, okay, once they swerve out of the way, and then they kind of stopped when they knew stuff was in front of them, and I was like, well, why didn't they power through? But then when you cut away and you see there's 7,500, you know, zombies walking in this big old herd, it wouldn't have mattered how fast you were going or how much you plowed through. There's no way you're getting through that many, you know, th- through that kind of a herd. And you probably would have made it worse for yourself because by the time the car would have been stopped or the pile too big, you'd be totally in- engulfed in zombies. So it- I-, I like that 
for me that would typically be like a flaw in logic. And and after it all played out, it was like, nope, it's probably good that that you know they you know they didn't do that, or or you know Daryl was thinking ahead or whatever that you know you just didn't just power through it. Yeah, right. for sure. And it made an awesome scene. <laughs> oh, oh, oh yeah. yeah, it was a good, good looking scene. So they get trapped on the pile of zombies underneath the real wheels, and they abandon ship, or car as it were, very quickly. Luckily, like you guys are saying, they were on the edge of the herd. Uh, so they start piling out of the vehicle and making their way um, away from it into the woods, killing zombies as they go. But Tyrese is in kind of a panic state, a, a fugue state. A, a He's overcome by shock, it appears, and at first he won't get out of the vehicle. He just sits there as the zombies get closer and closer. But then he finally grabs his hammer, jumps out of the car, and just starts wailing away on the zombies. A scene I thought was cool, because we get to see Tyrese and the hammer finally wrecking shop in the way we've always wanted to, but also at the same time, a little bit eye-rolly in just how many zombies were around him and that they would all stay just out of biting distance, but within hammer-hitting distance. Um, it it, it rolled, made me roll my eyes a little bit, but it was still really cool to see. I mean, that I, I didn't roll my eyes at it just because I was like, this is a scene just like the comic. and Right, it's what I wanted to see. It's just, you know... Uh, yeah, I mean, I'm just yeah. The the imagery to me didn't like suggest eye roll. I guess I was I took I I took it fairly like on a on its level of TV logic. But I mean, I like the I I like this scene for the sake of the imagery that I got from it. And I do feel like I mean, one of my issues with Tyrese this episode is that it feels like it was constructed to get Tyrese to a cool scene like this, as opposed to a episode that was built to construct this character in an appropriate way that felt fitting with the rest of the show so far. And the payoff is that I get this cool-looking scene, but it kind of sacrificed some character there. So I can only hope that from this going forward, we'll see. Knowing now that we have kind of a, a chunk of Tyrese to to know about, we can move onward and upwards in terms of how we handle him for, from here on. But I mean, we'll see. But that said, cool scene. I mean, he, you know, it's hammer time for Tyrese, and it looked pretty cool. And the group eventually meets back up. Tyrese comes out of the woods and meets up with everybody else. He's covered in zombie guts, but he is alive and appears unbitten. Which is unsurprising, because I would be very surprised if they killed him off this early. Yeah, that was just great scene for people that aren't familiar with the comic to get a taste of, of what the comic fans loved. And it was different enough that uh, it, it was it was good for us comic fans to see as well. So yeah, it, it for me it totally worked. I didn't really have an eye-rolly moment. Um, like you did, Jordan. Uh, I it was it, I was kind of I kind of expected it, you know, when I saw it when he was kind of you know phased out in the car. I was like, oh, here's the moment where he's going to be surrounded and just totally wail on everything, and and they're going to think he's dead and he's going to come back. So, uh, well, well done. It calls back to um well, a couple things actually, because Rick had to deal with this too, and Lori died, and he went all chop chop on the other zombies in the prison when he had to clear out the ward there although yeah obviously we didn't see him we didn't see him get swarmed by walkers as much as he was the one that was <laughs> swarming them yeah, he was really, the one who knocked heads with an axe yes thank you uh wordplay and uh, <laughs> uh i mean like the governor had that too where andrea andrea sicked a whole bunch of walkers on him and he surprisingly made it out and it, it was able to then surprise andrea at the end of that episode i mean so it it's a nice, it's a nice well for uh, the shows to go to on, in terms of zombies swarm a character. What do they? What, do they come back alive? And yeah. And then sometimes you have Otis. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Gr- greater good. 
Back at the prison, Carol decides she's not waiting on Rick anymore to help her clean out the hose to get more water into the prison. So she goes out and does it herself, and they have this nice uh, noise-making contraption, similar to what was built at Woodbury to trap zombies in the uh, in the Walker pit. But this one is like bicycle tires and such, and it's a, it's a noisemaker. It moves, it bounces light and stuff, it attracts the zombies. So she sets that up, she goes out to the cistern, and she starts cleaning out the hose, um, but she makes a little bit too much noise, and a few of the zombies start turning towards her. Uh, Rick notices that she's out there by herself and sees the zombies moving in on her and that she's not really totally paying attention. Uh, so he runs out, he starts yelling, you know, keep, start running, start running. They have a nice little action sequence. They get back inside the fence. Uh, Rick tells her that what she did was stupid and careless, and as she walks away, uh, Rick says, you know, I noticed how far you're willing to go to protect this group. Is there much you wouldn't do to protect him? And she says no. And he asked, Carol, did you kill Karen and David? She pauses briefly. She says yes. And then she walks away. And that is the end of the episode. That was kind of another scene that didn't exactly work well for me. And I think it was just based on the way on that's how they ended the episode. I think we had this great high moment of Daryl and company getting attacked by this, this herd and the tension with that, and then we get this moment that's just this kind of meh ending to the to the episode. Like to me, it wasn't at that point. It wasn't this huge reveal or revelation that Carol had burned the bodies. I think it, it was kind of sort of choreographed when she knocked over the water and kind of had her freak out moment. I and then went outside, kind of uh, danger be damned. So I I just felt kind of flat at the end of this episode. I think what it was, honestly, and I, and I, you know, I brought up the editing before, and I hate to blame this on Kelly Dixon, but I think it was the editing uh, because it, there was definitely something strange to the ending of the episode where it needed a second and a half trimmed off after she said no, or, or after she said yes, or it needed a second and a half added after she said yes, or it needed an additional musical sting or a shot of Rick in there. It was just something was off about the actual way it ended um, structurally. And I think had it had a musical sting or a shot of Rick looking stunned in a different way from a different angle or just be, if it was timed differently, I think it would have gone over much, much better. Cause I, I agree. It was very strange, but it shouldn't have been for, for me. It feels, it's like a hindsight type of situation where I feel like if we knew from the get go, like, cause okay. So the last episode ended on the, the basically a cliffhanger of these bodies are burned. Who did that? And I feel like, the who done it took away from what happened in this episode because if you got rid of if you got rid of the who done it aspect of this and you just kind of you made it so you always knew it was Carol like I don't know if you you didn't necessarily need to see it but you all, you knew from like the start that it was Carol and so you have that information and it's more of like a ticking time bomb of when is this going to be revealed as opposed to making it a mystery where for some reason it just fell flat for me and so as much as I enjoyed the cliffhanger aspect of the last episode because like who saw that coming. It feels like that affected the delivery of the reveal in this episode, if that makes any sense. I didn't think it would be resolved that quickly either, to be honest. I thought it would be something you know, that we'd figure out over a period of time, or maybe the audience would know it was Carol, but there was no, you know, no one else did. Um, I don't know. It just, it was kind of a weird, pay, weirdly flat emotional payoff for being such a big deal. You know what I mean? Yeah, and I guess I have to kind of go back on what I said last episode because I was pretty much convinced that the person that burned the bodies was the same person that was feeding the walkers and kind of causing chaos and 
I think now they've kind of proved that maybe that's not the case. And that was another weird thing with this episode is that it's like that plot line is com- was completely abandoned. Like there was no subterfuge or sabotage or anything like that going on this episode, or at least it didn't seem like it. Yeah, I agree with you. I, and I think it's, yeah, I think it's easy to say that they're more than likely not the same person at this. I'd be very, be very weird if Claire yeah. was the one feeding rats to the water. Like that's regardless. It's the kind of, but yeah, I agree with you. It did, it did kind of, we forgot about this plot, like in, in wake of, you know, murders that happened, which I mean, that's also a credible thing to be researching as well, but it, it maybe it could have worked better if we did divide it into a DDT episode and then like have a, you know, a side episode of that focuses on the prison and focuses on, yeah, who killed these people and who's been feeding rats to the walkers. But yeah, these are a lot of plots to, a lot of subplots to try and work into a episodic show. So I could, I can see why we can only address so many things or else it just becomes too cluttered. And that's pretty much my problem with this episode. I think it is too cluttered as it is. Yeah. Um, as you're trying to fit in arcs for Car- for um, Carol, Tyrese, Herschel to an extent, and then also have this action plot going on on the side. So there's a lot being balanced here. It, and it just, it feels like the characterization suffered in the case of Carol and Tyrese for, for me. And that's where I'm at in this episode. You know what I thought? Because we had this dangling plot thread of this sabotage going on, I thought that when Carol knocked the water over in her frustration and her outrage, I thought we were going to see like a rat sitting at the bottom of the, the water bin or, you know, something in there that shows that somebody's maybe been, been, you know, fouling up the water supply. And that's why these people were sick too. Um, That would have been cool. Yeah. And then when that didn't happen, I was like that again, that's kind of when it hit me. Oh, Carol's the one that burned the bodies. But, then it hit me also that what happened to this whole plot of the sabotage like that that was completely abandoned in this episode and it was a huge thing in episodes one and two i mean you know they began the you know episode two on that you know making a point of that and that you know there's something going on that's you know stirring up all the walkers and you know all all this kind of stuff and it's just like it's almost like they forgot about it this episode Felt a little off this week. Felt like kind of a step down. Well, I mean, we'll get to like the busters and all that. And I know we have a there's a voicemail coming up that I think goes into Carol a little bit more. So I'm, I'll be curious. I'll be curious to say what I can after after we hear what that's all about. But um, for the most part, yeah, it just feels like there were some there were some issues here. And it's you know I'm I don't I don't I don't think the show's perfect, obviously. And I I'm happy to kind of poke the holes in it where I do. But I did think that there's you know. There was a there was great stuff in here involving Herschel and involving kind of the Daryl Daryl's dream team plotline. So it's it's just it's more aggravating that I couldn't like this more because I did feel like the episode sacrificed some things involving the Carol plot and things involving the Tyrese plot that didn't quite get me on board all the way. Well, let's jump right into it then, gentlemen. What would you rate this episode from one to five Busters? I'll I'll go. I, I gave it a three point five Busters out of five. Um, I. I, I pretty much just explained every reason as to why, but yeah, I did think the Herschel stuff was very strong. I did like the, as much as I, as much as I know the action, the action stuff's always good on this show. Pretty much, I, I can't think of a time where I was displeased by the action things happening. So I mean, it, it, it once again pulled through, and it did make me, you know, enjoy that aspect of the episode. Especially given that I try to watch this because I enjoy, you know, character drama stuff, and the action just comes as a bonus on The Walking Dead. But this case, this week, it just felt like. The action was really something I wanted to see more of, and I didn't quite get that. And said I got kind of Carol and Tyrese plots that didn't quite work for me. I'll give it three busters. Uh, if it wasn't for the 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 herd scene with Daryl and, and crew in the Charger, 
and Herschel's monologue, I think this would have been like a 2-5 on the high side. But I think those two things were strong enough to, to kind of tick it up a little bit for me. But I, I think I agree with you, Jordan. I think the, the, the editing just seemed kind of off in this one, and the pacing was kind of weird. And it seemed, it seemed odd that we got the, you know, Daryl's dream team in the, in the Charger scene so late in the episode. Uh, and, and maybe part of it is a little bit of bias because that, that's the, the sneak peek that we got a early on in the, in the season four trailer, but then in, in kind of a, you know, preview of next week's episode, we kind of saw that. So, um, but yeah, I just, I, there were too many things I think in this episode that just didn't work as we discussed earlier. So three for me, I give it a three, five. Uh, I liked parts of it. I, I, I really, uh, am, am in the same camp as, as Aaron, the parts that I liked, I liked very much. Uh, the Daryl, you know, Daryl's a, a team, and um, uh, the the parts that, the, uh, that Scott Wilson brought to this episode. Um, I mean, not not only you know, not only that one monologue, but also the scene with him and Carl, the scene with him and Doctor S, um, the scene with him and Glenn at the end. I mean, he really, uh, for me, this was like a, a real showcase for his acting ability this episode, which makes me think that he's probably going to get killed off, which really makes me kind of sad. But three, <laughs> but three five uh, for I mean those redeeming qualities and I I, I I get what you're saying. It seemed like the the pace. It wasn't even so much the timing as the pacing. You know what I mean? The the editing and the pacing of, of this episode that seemed kind of off. So my friend, when we were watching this episode, because we were kind of like, "Where's this Daryl thing happening?" My friend at one point said, "When are they going to get to the fireworks factory?" Which is a Simpsons quote, but it just made perfect sense to me. It's like when are when is this exciting thing going to happen that seemed like it was teased for a good 40 minutes before it was finally delivered upon? Right. I would give the episode a 3.75. I liked it a little bit more than the rest of you guys. Um, I actually didn't have as many problems as it may have sounded like, and I liked a lot of the individual pieces, but I didn't think they fit into a cohesive whole very well. And and I, I don't know if it was the editing. More for the editing, I was saying, was just that last moment in, in particular but it just felt like they were trying to do too much in this episode writing-wise. And while I liked most of the things that were going on in the episode, they it felt like they shouldn't all have been there. It just took away from the other pieces to have so many things there. But a 3.75 for me, I was still happy with the episode. I just wish maybe some of the elements had been moved to next week or maybe left out altogether. What did our listeners on Facebook think, Jim? Well, uh, we have a really active Facebook group, by the way. If you're interested and you listen to the show, you should probably hop on. It's the Walking Dead TV podcast Facebook group, and uh, we'd be happy to have you. We have a lot of uh, posters this week who uh, have a lot of interesting things to say. Everard Santa Marina gave it a four out of five swollen Tyrese uh, eyes <laughs> out of five. Uh, I hope that um, what was bad in this episode was overcome by a lot of good, which is kind of what we were saying, too. Uh, Philip Hurd gives it a five T-Dogs and nailed it for him. Apparently Tyrese hasn't seen the Nebraska episode and doesn't realize Rick will get ruthless on you if you push him too far. And what's up with Dr. S? Hasn't the guy been to med school and never heard of the elbow cough? <laughs> At least give Herschel <laughs> a wet wipe or something. I agree there. That was kind of gross. Of all the gross things on the show to have someone cough in your face. Uh, four coughs. Uh, and cough blood Cough in your blood, face not even just, you know, yeah. snot because that's real. That happens. That's like, ah, oh, what are we doing? Right. Uh, four coughs out of five for Mike Jones. I don't know if I buy the Carol story <laughs> yet. Um, four out of five busters for Karen Kara Bailey. Um, 3.5 for Mary Turpecki. I loved every scene with Herschel, especially the ones with Carl and Maggie. Seems like, really uh, like the dream team of Michonne, Daryl, and Tyrese. Bob seems sketchy to her. 
Um, somebody needs to like uh, get on making a new meme with the opening of the A team, but with Daryl's dream team. <laughs> oh, the yeah. D team. Somebody, somebody, uh, one of our talented listeners who can do such a thing. Good on that. Chop, chop. Uh, Max Sofer uh, gives a 4.5, just like the old days, out of 5. That was a pretty good line, uh, Daryl to Michonne. Uh, Sarah Ann Howard, 3.5 for me as well. I love the zombie herd action, the dream team, and Herschel is becoming one of my favorite characters. I'm not at all happy about the Carol storyline. Uh, four bloody lung cookies out of five from Christopher Levine. Uh, David Gleason can only give it a two. It got so boring and predictable. Uh, four hammer shots to Manson's head out of five. <laughs> <laughs> I guess we'll be talking about that next. Um, oh, you better believe it. It was nice it. to see Ty Cut Loose. That was from Roger Austin. Um, four out of five useless bandanas on the face from Robert Negro. Uh, Jimmy Tucker gave it 4.5 megahertz out of 5. Uh, <laughs> 3.5 Herschel map drawings out of 5 from Shade Jenkins. And 3.5 strange brat children feeding walkers from Belinda Clark Cake. And if you want to get on all the fun, we have a, we post all the news for The Walking Dead. And we have a lot of really cool uh, and interested listeners who like to talk a lot about the show. Different theories or whatever. Definitely check out our Facebook group, uh, The Walking Dead TV Podcast. But, yeah, we're kind of all over the board. Mostly, all, mostly positive for this episode, though. And, uh, Russ, I think we had a voicemail for this week's episode, didn't we? We do. And real quick, I just want to mention that we had a little bit of a... Uh of a, a snafu here at the walking dead tv podcast and the voicemail line uh wasn't renewed shame on us um but we are in the process of getting that fixed uh then the it should be the same as the old number but i'll i'll make sure we verify that once we get everything back and running so i apologize for that if anybody's been calling the number and wondering what's going on in the meantime you can send us a voicemail through the email address if you wish comments at walking you could just you know record yourself uh, on your computer, laptop, phone, what have you, and uh, just send us that file, and we will be happy to play that on the show, just like we will for one of our listeners right now. And let me play that. Hey, guys, it's Brian Fuquay at Radio Fuquay on Twitter. Okay, you've got the second of the three I episodes this week, starting with the letter I. I- isolation. Last week was infected. Next week is indifference. And this week, the obvious big topic is going to be Carol. Now, it looked like last week you guys didn't care a lot for any of the parts of, this, of the episode involving Carol. I actually thought they were very moving, very interesting, and pretty relatable. Uh, but this week, I thought it was very interesting to see Carol having to juggle between being a loving, motherly figure to Lizzie versus her conviction to do what she feels is best for the group. And as we know by now, based on the outcome of what happened that second side is going to prevail and it's pretty controversial and some people may have seen it coming I didn't necessarily but after knowing about it now I think it totally makes sense I mean look at what the character of Carol has been through all the way up to this point she was a beaten wife before the zombie apocalypse she spent half a season worrying about her daughter and what her ultimate fate might be only to come to find out that her worst fears were truly realized and was presumed dead for a few episodes after the prison cleanse of season three. After all that, her current behavior is totally understandable. She's tired of letting life beat her over the head over and over and over. The pendulum has swung in the other direction and she's taken the wheel for once. Now her stance is if anything else terrible happens to her or the people she cares for, it won't be from her lack of trying. Even if it means killing or burning two innocent people to protect everyone's lives. Apparently that didn't really work in the end, but we all know that now. Moving on to Carl. I've got to say, guys, 
Carl is still not staying inside. He's he's as bad as Kate from Lost. He's really getting on my nerves, seriously. I don't... I really don't care for him anymore. I thought he was right to get back the gun. I don't think it was ever should have been taken away in the first place. I mean, that final thing that happened last year where he shot that dude that wouldn't put down the gun, I think I would hope that anybody else would have done the same thing if they were in his shoes. He wouldn't put... The guy wouldn't put down the gun. It's as simple as that. He told him like 800 times. Anyway, that's pretty much all I have to say for this week, and look forward to hearing your guys' episode covering this. Happy 100th episode, by the way. Dude, that's awesome. So, all right, talk to you guys later. Well, thank you, Brian. We appreciate the uh, the voicemail and the well wishes on uh, 100 episodes. Well, I've got to say, I, maybe I misstated my thoughts last week. It's quite possible. I've been known to do that. But I didn't hate the whole Carol storyline. I just felt her scenes with Lizzie and Mika were awkwardly written. Uh, like I said, I liked the performances and everything. It was just what what she was doing was very awkwardly done. The whole her killing uh, Karen and David and stuff, I've got absolutely no problem with that. I mean, on a moral level, I, I have a problem with it, but um, in terms of her character doing that, I have zero problem with it whatsoever. So I, I, if I misrepresented myself last week that way, um, I'm, I apologize, but I have no problem with them going down that, sto- that storyline, uh, plotline route for her, um, and even including what we saw in this most recent episode. Um, I actually like the Carol stuff. So, yeah, that's what I got to say. And, and as for Carl, um, I, I don't know. I don't have a lot to say about him staying in the house or not staying in the house. I liked him when he was crazy psycho Carl, and I liked him in this episode. So I'm fine with Carl. I mean, I, I, I wouldn't dismiss him as crazy psycho Carl. I think he's just been doing – he's been doing things. Well, no, no, no. Yeah, I, 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 I know you're, 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 exactly, you're kidding around. But, I mean – he went out because Herschel is a, he, he is crippled, and it like makes sense to you know go in twos rather than go alone to go out outside of the prison with all these walkers around. That, that's Carl stuff. The Carol thing, and I did like that voicemail. That was a uh, well communicated, and I, it's always frustrating because that you know someone's gonna like yell back at the at their at their iPod when they can't like respond immediately <laughs> to certain answers that they give. And I always appreciate when people write down their thoughts beforehand and then read from notes, which uh, some people might find that a negative. I don't know, but I appreciate it because it, it shows you've put some thought into it. So thank you, Brian, for that. But in regards to the Carol stuff, I um I, I agree with Jordan to an extent. Actually, I did like last week. I think we all we all had kind of we took issue with I guess kind of the handling maybe, but I did find certain aspects of it kind of emotionally effective, such as like you know seeing a father die and then like taking the child, the the you know taking responsibility for children and whatnot. But I just think that some of the you know the plotting to establish her character in that episode and in this episode was clunkily handled. And I get the intention, and I get where Carol's coming from in terms of why she's acting certain way and why she's doing certain things, and obviously, like you know, mur- murdering Karen and David, which we still don't know the full story on necessarily. But I mean, it it feels like the the ingredients are there to make this storyline work. It's just not being presented as effectively as I know it could be, or as I think it has been handled so far. That's my take on it. Yeah, I think it, I think uh, Brian was a little harsh on Carl. I think I think I've I've made my thoughts on Carl this season pretty clear, um, but I get where he's coming from. I, I really don't have a problem with Carl, and I think that uh, um, you know we're going to we've yet to see what's playing out with Carol, so it's kind of hard to you know write that off or, or make a definitive statement. I would say at this point, so it yeah, what's like what's tough is Melissa McBride's doing a great job. I think she's acting the hell out of the role. Can we agree on that? I think we can. Mm. Oh, yeah, I think the acting oh, yeah. is great, and I think the plot in general is fine. It's just the handling of some of the certain scenes has been weird. Yeah, and it's just like, 
I because I I want these things. I want things to happen for Carol in terms of giving her a presence on this show more so than has been there has been so far because I think she has been quietly building up points in my book of like people that I can rely on to be a certain way in the series, and I just feel like as as much as I'm getting that to an extent, it doesn't feel like it's being put to its best use. I guess. it's not it's not coming off as as strong as I'd like it to be. So, gentlemen, why don't we talk about the Talking Dead for a few minutes here? Now, um, before we get into the specifics, I would like to say I have watched, as far as I know, every episode of the Talking Dead. I might have missed one somewhere along the way, who knows, but I'm pretty sure I've seen them all. And, on the record, I really like Chris Hardwick. I like him as a host, I like him as a person, I've met the guy, he's very nice, Um, I like his podcast, I like Talking Dead and Talking Bad, and the Nerdist Network and all that kind of stuff. And, you know, I, I know some people just don't like him. Whatever. That said, who watched The Talking Dead last night or, or, or this week's episode of The Talking Dead? I watched the episode of The Talking Dead mainly because I was kind of curious <laughs> knowing, who the guest, knowing who the guests were in advance. But in general, I kind of have it on while I do the write-up sometimes or I'll just – or every – so yeah, I, gen- I generally kind of watch it kind of in the background. But And I like, I like Chris Hardwick. I think he's a, a solid moderator and a solid kind of host for these kind of shows. I DVR'd it. I haven't watched it yet, but I, I've, I, I, like you, I've seen probably 80% of all of the Talking Bad slash Talking Dead episodes. I agree with your sentiments on Chris Hardwick as far as him as a host, moderator, um, podcaster. Uh, I, I think he, I think he does a great job. I, I don't, I've only read about the fallout, um, <laughs> of, of, uh, who was on and whatnot. So, well, why don't you go ahead and uh, fill everybody in? So for those of you who did not see the show this week, uh, the guests were, uh, well, Chris Hardwick was the moderator, of course. Then we had Gail Ann Hurd, who's executive producer of The Walking Dead. And I think, I don't think I'm exaggerating if I say one of the most important women behind the camera in Hollywood, um, or at least influential. She's, she's a big deal. Uh, and then we had Jack Osborne from the Osbournes, uh, Ozzy Osbourne's son. And then we had Marilyn Manson. Now, I'm not the world's biggest Marilyn Manson fan. I got nothing against the guy. His music was never just really my thing. He was more popular with people a few years older than me. But I've always heard he's a very well-spoken, intelligent guy in interviews. And, you know, the the whole Marilyn Manson thing is just more for attention. And beyond that, he's a nice, normal guy. So I have no real stance on the man. But all I can say is... This week's episode of The Talking Dead was one of the most awkward, uncomfortable, and bizarre hours of live television I've ever seen. Chris Hardwick displayed the the patience of a saint in this episode. Marilyn Manson was rambly. Half the time you couldn't understand him. The other half the time he came off as very misogynistic and... Uh, other offensive in other ways sometimes, uh, just rambly and going off on strange tangents and trying to connect everything to plots of movies and other things like that. He did make an Activia joke, which was funny, or it would have been if he had managed to actually communicate it in a coherent way and not apparently think that What's-Her-Name was actually in the Activia commercials instead of Melissa McBride. That That was very strange. But it was just bizarre. Every time they came back from a commercial break, I was amazed that Marilyn Manson was still on the stage and they hadn't found some excuse to get him off. Jack Osborne, who I have no opinion on whatsoever, I've never seen an episode of the Osbournes, he came off as like the most normal, nice guy ever next to Marilyn Manson. And that's not even that strong of a uh, of a 
contextual qualifier. He just came off as normal and nice. Everybody came off as very normal, nice, and patient next to the mess that was Marilyn, Marilyn Manson on this episode. While talking about The Walking Dead, give it up. I'm sorry, because he did that at one point. It just made me laugh. Like, it's like, pause for audience break. That was good. Job yeah, that was um, weird. I <laughs> <laughs> I did find this to be – I found this episode of The Talking Dead to actually be more interesting than the episode of The Walking Dead I just watched before this happened. I got – I got to – like, I'm not about to come to the defense of Marilyn Manson, but, I, yeah, I I have the same kind of regard for him as you do, Jordan. I, I, I'm aware of him. I know his music to an extent, and I've heard nothing but good things about him in terms of a, a person who knows how to handle interviews and talking to people as a regular human being. Oh, yeah, he, he's made a living of dealing with live audiences, so this should not be new to him. No, it shouldn't. So with that said, I feel like there's this kind of weird mix of him trying to be that person as well as trying to be Mike Marilyn Manson, the performer, at the same time, and that didn't work overall. And he had these – yeah, he had these kind of responses to questions that did not did not play in a way that I think he thought they would, and as a result, he kind of continued on in a more rambly sort of – pattern that didn't didn't ever catch on with the rest of the panelists or chris hardwick and and it's not like this is this is it's not like this is a horrible thing that happened to television anyway but it feels like <laughs> we're talking we're judging the talking dead now this is funny um it's it, it, it i don't think it helped that some of what as much as hardwick was being patient with marilyn manson there were also times where he kind of not necessarily baited him but provided a little more snark than was necessary to his his answers. That wasn't until like the last twenty minutes. I, you know, I agree. He was I, holding yeah. on strong. For sure. Yeah, I, I agree with that for sure. But th- I mean, there were things where like I even got what Manson was going for, and it just didn't register in time because he's doing a li- like Hardwick's doing a live show, so he doesn't have time to process the weirdness of Marilyn Manson along with also handling like, the professionalist nature of uh, Gail Ann Hurd and you know friendly nature of Jack Osborne. There's a lot going on in the mind of Hardwick, I imagine, as well. So yeah, it's difficult to kind of negotiate these three different personality types in one talk show while you know in a live format so it's it's a difficult position to be in for sure so yeah it's just yeah it was just really weird to to watch manson perform on this on on the talking talking dead and i'll be curious if he ever comes back or not oh yeah i I gotta say it makes me appreciate the talking dead talking bad and live tv in general even more that this kind of crazy stuff doesn't happen all the time like they did have that one weird caller like bob from cincinnati or something last season that was very strange and awkward but a compared to this that was nothing but b the fact that you don't have guests all the time who just clam up or won't stop talking or keep cutting people off like marilyn manson was doing is pretty impressive quite honestly yeah there was one that just bugged me a little bit, where because Marilyn Manson said like uh, he said th- he was talking about the, like the rats in the prison situation. And he said I think it's Carol's daughter, and I think it was very clear to me that he was referring to like the new daughter she has, like Lizzie or whatever. Lizzie. And yeah. then and Hardwick kind of ra- wrote it off as like oh the Sophia thing. We think we kind of solved it, and it just that was something that for whatever reason that rubbed me the wrong way. But it was just like at that point it was the first salient idea he had had. And the sheer fact that he screwed up the delivery, I, I you know, I, I couldn't feel that bad for him. Yeah, I know. Because, you know. Yeah. It was just like, there's, I think there's a lot, I mean, it's, if anything, it's a lot of producing, producers' fault as well. I mean, there's not really, it's not fault. Again, it's not a horrible thing that happened. It's just like an awkward scenario based on who was involved, the planning, the live format, all these things just didn't add up to a recipe of good-natured fun on The Talking Dead this week. It added up to kind of really cringeworthy <laughs> awkwardness on the talking dead this week which was interesting to me as a viewer to watch but 
not, you know, the thing I want to see every week on The Talking Dead. Oh, yeah. And uh, I would just like to say, on behalf of men everywhere, uh, women, I'd like to apologize for the amount of misogyny that was in that episode, because that was also just like on, even if you took that out, it would have been awkward and uncomfortable, but that was just strange, like how many times he managed to work in like menstruation jokes and such things like that and burning bras. And I, I was just confused almost more than I was offended and baffled. Was he maybe altered? Oh, I, I, I mean, I'm no medical doctor and I wouldn't want to, um, uh, cast aspersions that I couldn't back up medically or with any type of certainty, but he certainly acted in the way that is reminiscent to me of a person who has been, uh, altered by a chemical substance of some type. I'd just like to take the time to plug John Deere tractors. If it's walker legs or cornfields, <laughs> needs a plow. Oh, good. A- I'd forgotten about that. That was that was weird, too. I, I almost recommend people watch this episode just to know how strange it was. I think uh, Mike Jones on the Facebook page posted a very a fun, out-of-context uh, layout of all the different things that Marilyn Manson said to Chris and Chris Hardwick responded with on the show. <laughs> so you can check that out as well on the Facebook page. I also saw on Twitter, and I'll paraphrase because it was several days ago, but uh, you guys know how a knock-knock joke goes, so uh, I'll set you up. Knock-knock. Who's there? Marilyn Manson on The Talking Dead. Marilyn Manson on The Talking Dead who? John Deere Tractors. And that was pretty much the tone of the entire episode. (laughs) was just a lot of, what? So... It got a chuckle out of me. But that, that's all I had to say about The Talking Dead. I'd almost recommend people watch it just for how awful that episode was. And in general, because I generally like the show. And this has been Talking, Talking Dead, the show that comes after The Talking Dead, where we discuss The Talking Dead and everything that happened in it. This is comedy talk talk. Uh, <laughs> I wonder if anyone will get that reference. But So do we have anything else to talk about this week, gentlemen, uh, before we sign off and prepare for episode 101? Happy 100, guys. It's... uh. It's it's been fun to do this show. I mean, I without getting into specifics, uh, I will I would say that this is the most popular show that we have on the network as far as viewership, downloads, participation, etc. And uh, so it's a lot of fun. It's a lot of fun to do it. Absolutely. Yeah, I'm very happy to be involved on a more frequent level these days. I you know I've been I've been writing you guys for a while just in terms of my thoughts on the on the show and whatnot because I've enjoyed the various other shows on the. HHWLD podcast network and it's nice to it's nice to chat with you guys every week about The Walking Dead and be involved and you know obviously the Facebook page is great too I like chatting there and you know it's fun to um, it's nice to be at an, a show getting on its 100th episode where we can continue to be doing this thing that we all really enjoy and we certainly enjoy having you on the show as well Aaron so uh, before we get into our preview of next week's episode of The Walking Dead which of course could contain some spoilers uh, we're going to have our uh, normal outro for the show, and that is you can leave us a voicemail, uh, but we're not going to give you the number this week because it's not working quite at the moment. So instead, if you want to send us a voicemail, you can record an MP3 or WMA or an OGG or some type of audio file and send it in to comments at walkingdeadtv.com. You can also just send us a normal email that way. We'd love to hear it. You can also check out our Facebook page for The Walking Dead TV Podcast. You can send us tons of messages there. We have a very active Facebook community, and it's very awesome. Check out hhwlod.com and walkingdeadtv.com for all of our great shows, like Half Hour Wasted, The Long Box of Doom, The Black Box, Out Now, with Aaron and Abe, Aaron Newarth, of course, and our brand new shows, Jersey Shore, and the very newest show on the HHWLOD Podcast Network, The Ichapod Crane Cast, if you're watching Sleepy Hollow. Um, which I hear is quite awesome. And, of course, most of those shows can be found on Facebook as well. 
And you can follow us on Twitter at WDTV Podcast and at HHWLOD underscore network. I am at Jordan FRM Jersey. Aaron is at Aaron's PS3. Russ is at R. Latham. And Jim is at Yoda Jones. And so until there's no more room left in hell in the dead walk the earth, remember, thanks for listening for 100 episodes. Here's to 100 more. Say happy centennial. <laughs> and next week on The Walking Dead, the episode is entitled, remember, this could have some minor spoilers, you never know, but it's mostly vague stuff. Um, as Brian on the voicemail said, this is following the trend of naming the episodes after I words, which will continue for this and one more episode. Uh, I believe the episode is titled indifference and the episode synopsis we have from AMC is obstacles are encountered by the group members on a mission to find supplies. Meanwhile, conditions at the prison get worse. And I cannot even imagine what that means. Maybe they're going to start having gorilla attacks. A la Pootie Tang. Yeah. Well, uh, all these broad sketches of what an episode can be. There you go. Sadate. Have a great week, everybody. So long. Okay, well, are you recording right? Well, hold on. Let's, let's count you in, first off, when you're ready. All right. Three, two, one. Record. Recording. And then why don't you give us a hello? Hello. And why don't you give us a, that's enough episodes for syndication, or whatever your specific <laughs> line was, and I'll do my best to patch it in later. All right. Okay. <clears throat> Otherwise, the whole joke gets cut. That's a, all right, hold on. Wait. Or I'll do, a, I'll do an Aaron North impersonation, and it'll be incredibly uncomfortable for everybody. <laughs> uh, okay. Uh, does that mean we get a syndication deal? Okay. All right. We got nailed it. Okay. <laughs>